Welcome to Becoming Church, the podcast where we discuss how the message and movement of Jesus is not just about becoming Christians, but about becoming the church. I'm your host, Kristen Mockler-Young, and I'm so glad you are joining the conversation. All right. Oh, welcome back to Becoming Church. Now, listen, I am going to say a word, listeners, and I do not want you to hit pause. Okay. Take a deep breath. We can do this together. One, two, three, deconstruction. All right. Stay with me. Don't pause. Don't move on. (laughs) My guest today is a self-appointed messy middle Christian, and she's going to use her experience and her insight to get us through this and to help guide us back toward Jesus, regardless of wherever we are in our spiritual journey. So Kate Boyd, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Yes, we're excited to have you. Do you feel like that's a common thing? You say deconstruction now and people just like start running for the hills. (laughs) It depends on who I'm around. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, there are a lot of different responses in a lot of different communities. And so it's really interesting. And that's sort of what's fascinating is like watching people run away, but like run away for various reasons or people who are willing to like stick around and talk about it or yeah, there's so many different ways it can go. Yes. Well, and we're going to get into it too. And we're going to kind of define it a little bit, but before we do that, you wrote a book that I've got right here in my hands called an untidy faith journeying back to the joy of following Jesus. And I'm going to tell you, this book is making me say a word that I really try to stay away from a lot. And that's the word journey. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes I think that can be overused, but there's going to be no escaping it today because you have packaged this. It's such a cute little way. Like you talk about passports and luggage and it's so adorable. What made travel kind of like the metaphor? What made you choose that for this book? It's because travel was what prompted my own journey, like my inner faith journey, as much as like the external one. Um, and you, you'll get that in the book too. There's lots of stories from the places that I've been, but it's, it's because travel and experiencing the church or seeing the world in different ways, um, and in different places that really sort of caused me to reconsider a lot of things. And so, um, it felt like the right thing because I wanted to honor the people who, you know, have sort of been the people who pushed me, even though they never would know that, um, just because of meeting them and getting to see them and them doing their faith in their context, um, made me reconsider mine. Yeah. And and I know you get into it in the book, um, but was there one place in particular or one place that you traveled that really kind of like started this journey for you of opening your eyes and reconsidering things? I would say like all of them sort of did it to a degree, but the one that probably had the most impact on me early on um, was a trip to South Asia that I took. I went to two different countries. One was very Hindu, one was very Buddhist and just sort of like seeing, um, yeah, not only how people lived their faith, but also the context in which they lived, mm-hmm. where there was much more opposition um, to their faith because of, you know, the major religions were not Christianity. Yeah. Um, and even seeing some of what that looked like in practice. Um, yeah, it was really, it was hard. 
And it made me just like really think about, um, A, how easy I have it in a lot of Mm -hmm. ways. And then B, how complacent that made me. And so that really sort of like, once you start pulling that thread, it's really kind of hard to (laughs) stop. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's almost a forced perspective shift, right? To be in another country and another culture and go, oh, I don't actually have the luxury of seeing things through my typical little comfortable bubble. And so Mm -hmm. that's really the only option. So in your introduction, you wrote the most beautiful invitation for people. You said, if you love Jesus, but you're feeling distant from his people, this could be the journey you need. And I love this. And don't worry about your baggage. There's plenty of space and we'll even unpack some of it together. I was like, ah, this is so beautiful. And so just inclusive. So was there someone in particular that you wrote this book for, or was it just kind of like something that told you now was the time to write it? Yeah. So when I first started wanting to write a book, it was about how we talked about church and how we could do better because at the height of the pandemic, I was, I really didn't like how people talked about the church um, or what church was. And because of my overseas experiences, I was like, guys, we, we can't do this because you're discounting like most of the world. world, (laughs) And so um, that's really where I started. And then as sort of a community built up around that people who were just sort of like journeying through what it meant to be the church or lead a church or be a part of a church, especially as like a lot of things were changing over the last three or four years in our personal lives and just, and in our church spaces, I think, um, I just kind of like realized that the community that came around actually needed something that was like a step before that, right? (laughs) Which was sort Mm, of, and so it was really just like a lot of listening and a lot of conversation. And so it wasn't really for one person in particular, although it's kind of the book that I wish I had 10 years ago when this all started for me, but it certainly was also a book that, um, yeah, I just sort of sensed in my community and through the conversations that we were having or the topics that kept coming up, um, when they would ask questions, um, that this sort of felt like the move for like the book that needed to be in the world at this point versus another. Yeah. Well, I would say too, following you for a while, I guess we've been internet friends for a couple of years now. Um, I think you're very good at, I stay away from Twitter because it scares me, but I know (laughs) you're there a lot. And And fair enough. It's scary. (laughs) But you use Twitter really, really well. Um, and obviously, I, I mean, I follow you on Instagram and and so I know how you do it there. But I've I've delved into Twitter to see some of your threads. And so all of that, just to say, just to validate not only your life experience, but definitely that you have um, your finger on like the pulse of community and what people are saying right now. And, and you don't shy away from the hard questions. Like you've put out questions before for people to answer. And I'm like, Oh no, like what are, what are people going to say to this? Um, but yeah, I just think it, it just really validates like, you know, everything that, that you have to say here. Yeah. Thanks. I mean, and I'm genuinely curious how people think about things. Like I, I, I know that I don't have, you know, an expert opinion on everything or even every point of view. And so it's, that's one thing that I think Twitter is good for is just sort yeah. of like being a space to collect those if, um, if, if it can be done respectfully, which is maybe yeah. sometimes where we fall right. down, but, um, <laughs> but posing as a question, posing as a, you know, 
a questioner, a curious person instead of an expert, though you can sort of unpack things that way too there, um, I find has been really helpful in my own, yeah, shaping my own imagination or my own thought processes. So it can be scary on Twitter, but there are good things there too. I feel like you just said basically curiosity over expertise. Don't you feel like that is a key, key piece to deconstructing, reimagining, relearning, whatever it is you want to call it? Yeah. I always sort of say like the twin values of like curiosity and humility will get you a lot of places. Like at this point, I know, um, like I know what my convictions are, but I also understand how other people have come to theirs. And so I'm willing to hold that loosely and say that can also be a biblical (laughs) interpretation, right? But understanding that there are multiple and, and even knowing that there's so much that I don't know yet, there's so many perspectives that I have yet to dive into, um, you know, and so, yeah, I try to hold those really closely, um, so that there can be a lot of dialogue and openness and even try to encourage that. Like, I mean, you know, even Instagram gets kind of rowdy sometimes. And so when people try to, you know, come through and I'm just like, look, I respect that you have a different conviction, but I came to mine with a lot of time and effort and prayer and study. And so you can hold yours, but if you don't like that, we hold multiple ones here, then this isn't the place for you. And you're going to constantly be be disappointed. (laughs) And you are welcome to go be certain in your little corner of the internet. You don't have to be here and you can keep yelling at me, but that's not going to change my mind. (laughs) Right. Right. We don't, we don't have to be certain here, especially not when someone else is dictating to us exactly what that looks like. Uh, all right. So let's address the word deconstruction that I I said at the beginning. What does it mean to you and what was your experience with it like? So I think sort of at its core, and though it takes a lot of different shapes, um, deconstruction is really just like an examination process and everyone goes through that process differently. Um, but I think it's an examination of like your core values and the beliefs that you hold and just sort of like being willing to look at all of those things very, very carefully and, you know, and even being willing to let go of them sometimes, Mm -hmm. right. And being willing to reshape those, or even being willing, again, goes back to like curiosity and humility, being willing to change your mind, being willing to be wrong, um, as you sort of like sift through things. So for me, that's sort of like what it is at its core. I actually call my process disentangling because I found mm-hmm. that um, when I went overseas, it wasn't so much that I lost faith in what and who Jesus is or what good there was in the vision of God or in the idea of the church. Um And instead, for me, it was mostly realizing that a lot of the things that I had sort of counted as very essential were actually very cultural for me. And so um, understanding that we could have the same idea, but it would look something different, a different way in a different context, or even things like right women in ministry, like it like it doesn't make sense to exclude women from ministry in a lot of contexts because they're the believers, right? Like right. they're the most mature believers. And so stuff like that, that I was like, okay, 
if it if it's supposed to be like this main principle, then it has to be able to apply everywhere. Now that might look differently in how it applies, but it has sure. to be able to apply everywhere. And so for me, that sort of became my standard. If it's biblical, it needs to be global. And so I just sort of like kept sifting through until I found something that felt like a global, something that could be applied even in various ways um, through that. So I would say like mine was maybe more of a gentle and long-term deconstruction in the sense of I actually got to like sit and hold up my beliefs and really like sift those through. And some of those ideas of like how they acted out and church culture were sort of revealed to me too, but I don't think it's anything like what we're seeing in the last few years when it's more social issues that have prompted people to start ah, the process, yeah. which I think is is very different. So I often say that I had sort of like the luxury of deconstructing like okay. a long time ago because I could take my time. There yeah. wasn't a lot of social upheaval for me that came later. And so I wasn't doing that all at once. And I think for some people, they're sort of doing it all at once. And that's why it sort of feels extra. Do you crazy. think that people feel like they're rushed through it or they're on some kind of like, cause you said you have, you know, the luxury of, of taking your time with it. Do you think that if it's different now for people that are coming out of political, social injustice, whatever it is that gets them there? I think it certainly feels more overwhelming. Um, yeah. Like, I think there are things that they just sort of, I think in some ways you just sort of like click and something switches and you change your mind. And hey, that's just not how I process anyway. Things like that, it still would have taken me a long time yeah. either way. But I think when you start to see that juxtaposition that we've sort of been seeing, it, that's like in some church cultures and then in some, you know, outside societal justice things, and you start seeing that clash. Um, yeah, I think for a lot of people, it's happening more swiftly, more deeply, um, and certainly in a much more overwhelming sense um, for most people. And I think some people are still sort of like have their like, God is good, church is good, just not the ones I was a part of kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. I think there are a lot of people, I mean, and that's like all the people who are sort of around in my community, that's where they are. They're just not sure what that looks like or haven't found a place necessarily for themselves now. But there's still people who are, you know, holding on to some of that. And then there are mm -hmm. some people who have like, you know, gone further on the spectrum of like maybe losing faith or moving like increasingly more um, not needing to hold some of those essentials that like I would say yeah. are important to me. Yeah. And it is, it is such, it means such different things to different people. Mm -hmm. I actually love the idea of disentangling versus like you said, just like flipping a switch. Cause I don't mm -hmm. think it works that way. I do think there is a moment, right? There's something that makes you go, hold on. Like your eyes are open to something or you have, there, there has to be that moment, right. That mm -hmm. kind of starts it. But then it really does feel like a, a, a process of uh, my friend, Aaron, uh, Aaron Moon always talks about it, about like untangling a necklace chain, you know, mm -hmm. like if a necklace gets all tangled up and how hard it is and how tedious. And just when you think you're like, you've got that piece to come out and then you're like, oh, there's another knot here. And yeah. it really is just a process of like, until you get there and until you get it all quote unquote, like straightened out it can be frustrating. Yeah. And I think too, what sort of happened is that like, 
So I also think of deconstruction a lot of times as sort of a cycle of grief, like we're all sort of going through and you go through those different phases. And so what happened was everyone went through anger phase at the same time, Um, right? And so like, because it all sort of started for people at the same time, the ways in which they're handling it and it sort of fuels, right? All of that sort of like, we need to be fast. We need to be bold. We need to do all of this um, without, and, you know, there's, there's good things to some of that anger. Good things have come up some of those things. But when you're not able to take that time to heal yourself before you're able, before you go out there and try to do a lot of other things, um, I think people are now starting to sort of like feel that strain of that yeah. and the ways in which they haven't walked through more of their grief. And it's and it and and it's hard, right? Like it's yeah. hard to do that. And so I think there's a lot of um, yeah, I, so I think in some ways it also has prolonged, um, the feeling of the loss that happens in deconstruction, yeah. even if they're mu- so like now their their feelings and their bodies are catching up to what their minds have been doing for yeah. a few years. And I think that's sort of like where we're, what we're seeing a lot of now. I think too, it can be, it's so personal, not, it can be, mm-hmm. it's so personal, yeah. but if people are, if they started deconstructing during the pandemic or when it all of a sudden like blew up, like you said, everybody got mad all at one time, right? Everybody seemed to, not everybody, a lot of people started doing this all at once. I think that probably prolonged the process because I know at least for myself, I can find myself in an echo chamber of anger where I'm like Mm -hmm. all the social media accounts, I'm I'm telling myself right? I'm listening to like deconstructing and other Christians and blah, blah, blah. But if I really take a step back, I can see seasons where, yes, maybe that's what they were talking about, but it was all negative. It was all rooted in anger. Like none of it was healing. None of it was grieving. And so I think that we can accidentally find ourselves doing that as well. Um, Grieving is really such a beautiful way to talk about it because yeah, it is. It's a, it's a hard process to let go of things that you clung to, you know, so tightly. And then even if there's better on the other side, right. It's still oh, the, sure. the process yeah. of letting it go. It's still a loss, right. You're yeah. losing, you're losing a lot of who you, your identity, which I think is like the hardest part, you know, for yeah. me being good Christian church girl was, was my whole gig, right. right. <laughs> so, <Same. laughs> Like what happens when what you thought that was built on shifts and it shifts a lot of you and then it eventually, right, shifts some of your relationships and your community dynamic and like there is real loss in the process and I think we don't always talk about it. Yeah. So there's a a saying, trying to stay away from the, the negativity of it. You have figured out how to like tug at the threads quote unquote, in a way that feels more expansive instead of destructive, instead of going, everything is awful, throw it all out. You know, you found yourself in a bigger faith space. How were you able to do that? Part of it is because again, my sort of quote unquote deconstruction started from a very different place. But I think the other part is I just really took a lot of time to expose myself to other parts of Christianity outside of evangelicalism. Mm. And that's globally, but also just denominationally. Like I 
I'm so nerdy that I read denominational confessions of faith for fun. Like, it's just yeah. really interesting to me what everyone believes. And as I was searching for like what I believe, I wanted to see what other people who had thought about it longer than me had articulated. And so, um, and so once I realized that, or, um, you know, I've also for the last three and a half years, I've been at a seminary that's a mainline yeah. seminary. So it's a completely different world. Like the right. people that I know, like the Christian celebrities I know, they have no idea who any of these people are. It's so <laughs> crazy. But that was the first place that I was like, oh, okay, there's room for people like me in Christianity still, even with the social upheaval, because there are other traditions that have some of this more baked into their culture more baked into their theology. And so it really sort of allowed me to, to make more of that distance, right. Mm -hmm. And make more of that space. Once I realized that there was space for me, even though I believed that it was possible, I didn't know it was actual. Right. And so I think some of that, um, and then of course, like distance from my own deconstruction in a lot of ways gave me a little more space. And so I think I just wanted people to know that, you know, ideas come from someplace and, mm -hmm. um, and there are people who at the same moment made a different choice in Christianity and their traditions ended up different places. And so there are ways in which we can look at things and say, you know, we might have something wrong, but, I'm willing to continue to do this or to consider multiple viewpoints and see that. And so I think I just wanted people to understand like a, some of like where the ideas that maybe they're struggling with come from that we're seeing kind of in the um, zeitgeist right now, but then also that there are like other ways of looking at it and that it doesn't have to be an all or nothing thing. Yeah. Right. And I think that's where people get caught up now as they sort of feel like, well, if this isn't right, then nothing is right. And, um, and I think that's a, a really hard way to go through the world and through life, but I certainly don't think that to be true of Christianity. And maybe then that's probably also my personal bias there. But I think I wanted people to understand that there is sort of life outside of evangelicalism, even if yeah. they feel committed to evangelicalism being, introduced to other ideas or ways of looking at the Bible or culture or whatever. Um, and so, yeah, I think I gave myself a lot of distance in order to do that. And then I just remembered like who I was writing for and what they needed um, mm -hmm. to hear and what they needed to process and, you know, just offering alternatives, even if they land in a different place than I do, which yeah. I think is very possible. Yeah. Um, that, you know, we're going to need that there needs to be a, a safe space to ask questions and have different ideas. And if I can like start pulling that thread for them, um, then, you know, I'm just glad to be there. Yeah. Well, and I think the book was really helpful. You actually walk people through a lot of I think common things that people start to have questions about. I mean, obviously the Bible, but even parables and traditions and spiritual practices and things that maybe they're used to where they thought there was only the one way. Mm -hmm. um, but then you also broke down. I love this, like the language of Christianity, like Christianese, right? Yeah. So words like orthodoxy and inerrancy. And I'm, I feel like there's a lot of people that are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Right. Like I know what that is, but they're maybe not sure. <laughs> so I wonder if that's part of people's confusion is maybe they thought they understood what all these practices or terms were, but they didn't they weren't actually familiar with the meaning. Do you think that could be part of it? 
I think that's part of it. And I think people um, use the terms in ways that aren't always accurate. And so, and I completely understand that language changes over time, but I also wanted people to understand like where it originally came from, you know, like in inerrancy, right. For example, um, you know, there are a lot of people who would say that the Bible is inerrant, who wouldn't hold to the strict definition that, you know, it was originally and painstakingly drafted to mean. Um, but there are a lot of people who do, but also don't know that all of that's in there. And so I think there's a sense of just kind of re yeah, rewiring our language. And so that we understand what we're talking about. And I think yeah. that was hard too, because, because there are spectrums of all these things or yeah. like a lot of people, even in orthodoxy, right. People confuse orthodoxy, I think with traditional and I, mm-hmm. and, and so I get a lot of comments about that when I talk about orthodoxy and I'm like, no, 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 that's not what we're talking about. Right. <laughs> so, like I was like, you can totally hold to that. And I'm still very traditional in a lot of ways, but orthodoxy is more important to me. And uh-huh. so I think there's, um, yeah, A, I wanted to make sure everybody was on the same page with what I was talking about. So Smart. I wanted, I needed to like at least clearly define things. But again, going back to like where ideas come from and why, you know, our church culture had been shaped in certain ways you know, came from these things, from these ideas. And even if we don't know that history anymore, um, understanding that can help us understand where we are now and like what choices we could have made differently along the way. Yeah. Well, it's part of that curiosity thing too, right? Like I've always said, I'm like, I don't care about history and I don't need to know where things came from and wars and this and that and blah, 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 blah. But as I've gone through my own, like relearning I have started to genuinely care. My microphone right now is propped up on my Jewish study Bible that I never expected. I would like actually purchase these just for fun because it does. It helps us to understand where did things come from? Where did the ideas come from? Because that's why we believe now what we believe now, you know, Mm -hmm. or because someone said it on Instagram and we were like, okay, well, we would just believe this, but yeah, I was like, that sounds good. So only one of those is right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So the second part of the book takes us back into quote unquote, practicing again. And a large part of this for people is finding a church where they either feel safe in their uncertainty, or they feel like the church is actually aligning with whatever their new vision of Jesus is, right? So you've talked publicly on your social media about how hard it was for you to find a church again. What encouragement outside of just like, just keep trying, just keep going to churches, you know, what encouragement do you have for people who still feel lost without a church home? Yeah. I mean, I think the first thing is make sure you're actually ready. Like I think a Mm. lot of people want to jump into that or like want to want to be ready. And so they try to force themselves. And and if you've sort of experienced something that, you know, has in, in some way your body or your nervous system has experienced this trauma or traumatic, um, then it's going to be really hard for you and you're not going to be ready. And, and that might even like prolong the process. So I think there's a lot of like wisdom in taking your time. And even, you know, if you want sort of the, like to get to know churches in this time without having to like go into a building, or if you don't know what triggers you and things like that, like a lot, there's still online services that you can check out, which may be a little bit safer because you can actually like just turn it off. Um, or, or be in a safer, like physical space while you do that. Um, 
But so I think that's really first is like actually being ready instead of like forcing yourself to be ready. And then I think the other part is knowing what's important to you. Um, like we're at a church now where I'm not a hundred percent on all the theology that they share in the denomination. I, you know, don't foresee myself pursuing ordination anywhere, but if I did, it certainly, I don't think it would be within this denomination, but the church felt for us like a safe space. Um, and I think, and it's one of those things and it's so trite, right. When it's like, when you know, you know, and I think there is a sense that like, when you know, you know, but I think you need to know what your like red flags and green flags are. Like, what are the things that, are really important to you that are needs that you have? Um, what are things that you're on the lookout for and you really want to ask a lot of questions about? Um, because I do think there's some environments that are like designed to make you feel good, but they're not necessarily what you're looking for. And so you kind of have to like rank things. Like for us, yeah. the theology was secondary to other things because we already know what we believe. We, you know, have... right. We, I'm, and I think that's one thing that evangelicalism is great at is like the head part of faith. And we are like, we want to be in a place that practices more with their hands around things that are really important to us right now. And so that's where we ended up looking and, you know, our, our church actually has a whole like class around deconstruction. And so there's a lot of people who, so there's a lot of like, there's a real safe space to like explore and have questions. So if that's important to you, I think there are spaces that are more accommodating to that. Um, but I think, yeah, I think that it's really a sense of, I know people will say like, well, values is like a code word for politics. And I don't think that's necessarily true, um, yeah. at least in a church search. Because I think there is a certain extent to which, you know, you have to know what's important to you and you have to know the ways in which you want or need leaders to operate or other things to operate in order for you to feel safe and good. And then even be because that's the only way that you'll be able to grow and thrive in it in any sort of environment. Um, And so, yeah, I think just being really careful and listening to yourself um, really closely and being ready to step into that will go a long way. So I think it's really just a, it is unfortunately trial and error. There is, yeah. you do have to just keep going until you find yeah. a place. Um, we were really lucky in that we joined a church within six months of leaving our other one. Oh, wow. Um, but we were like really for, we were like, we were like ferocious about like, yeah. <laughs> like our, our, our part-time job was finding a church yeah. at that point. So, um, because for us, that was really important, but, yeah. um, you know, and there will be more loss and grieving along the way. Like we found one right. that we thought we were really in, we were really considering joining. And then we asked a few questions that were important to us and we we're like, mm, actually this mm-hmm. isn't the right thing. And even though we loved all the people and there was so much that we really liked about the church, we were like, okay, I know we've been going here two months, but it's time to like step out and do something different. And so that was really, really hard because when you think you're finally close and then you sort of lose everything, (laughs) like you lose again, something you've been through. And it doesn't make it easier just because you've done it already once. Right. And so you sort of have to be ready for that part of the journey too, that there will continue to be more like grief and hardship. Like it felt like we were breaking up, like with, yeah. <laughs> with people yeah, along it does. the way. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, there is no easy answer. It's, 
it's a real long process of figuring out what makes sense for you and your for for your family and your needs um and just being gentle with yourself along the way yeah i love the idea of watching online like from the safe space of your home because i think too some people think they're ready and they're not i also think that sometimes people think they know what their triggers are and then they and then they don't mm-hmm. yeah um so i would say to really pay attention to that like in your red flag list maybe even like write it down, like keep it in a notes and and the notes app in your phone or something. Because I think like I've talked to people who are like, oh, I want this, this and that. And my nose are this, this and that. But then when they visited a church, it was something completely different than they expected. Mm -hmm. And they didn't expect all of a sudden this emotion to come up because of, you know, music Mm -hmm. or preaching style or whatever it is. Yeah. So paying attention to those for sure is, is a good tip. So for someone who has just started to find themselves in this process of disentangling or whatever we want to call it. I know it can be scary to hear the stories of people who deconstruct their way all the way out, right? So what tips do you have for someone who is like, I want to start relearning. I want to kind of start pulling at the threads, but I don't want to lose my faith. I mean, I think then you've already made an important decision about your boundaries in the process. Mm -hmm. And I think that's important, right? Is sort of knowing... Like for me, like Jesus wasn't a question. I was going to be sticking with that. And that was a foundation. Yeah. I was like, that's the foundation. Now I want to make sure that everything else I've built on top of it is actually like is strong enough. And so I think knowing your boundaries and at some point you may decide that that boundary needs to move and that's okay too. Yeah. But like knowing whatever your boundary is, like start there and you don't have to do everything all at once. I think yes. we all think everything has to happen all at the same time. That's just impossible. Yes. Like pick one thing that's really important or unless that's terrifying to you and then pick one thing that's mm-hmm. not important, right? That you can just oh, sort of like yes, that's so and test because then it's like, well, if I lose that, it's not a big deal, but it sort of may give you a sense of like what's happening next, right? what can come up in the process before you actually dive into some other things. Yeah. And then I think really it's again, tuning into yourself. And, and when I say tune into yourself, I know that that can feel very like woo woo, but I also think it's very like, I think the Holy spirit communicates, you know, through us in a lot of those ways. And that sometimes we've turned some of those things off because we've been taught to listen to other things or that like some of the knowledge or experiences were so mediated by other people and outside factors that, um, that we haven't necessarily tuned into that in a deep way in a long time. And so, you know, I always tell someone, like, if you are trying to figure out if you're wanting to stick with this, like go to Jesus, go back to the gospels, read through those you don't even need fancy commentaries. You don't need any of that. Like just read. And if you're not cool with this Jesus guy, then you kind of have your answer, right? You sort of know how far you want to go or not go in that process. And I think that for me was really integral and just sort of like helping me adjust like the compass of my Mm -hmm. direction so that I kind of knew that like, this was the place that I'm sticking with because I still feel really good about it. And now I feel myself tuning into that too. And I can let that guide, like, I know we sort of want to think our way 
to our theology, but sometimes our gut goes that way and, and our mind follows eventually. Um, and I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing. Yeah. Well, I like the idea too, that you said, you know, you, you just kind of go until you don't want to go. Like there's no, no one tells you, Hey, here's where the finish line is. And it's closer or farther away than you think. If you start a process of relearning and it's too much, you can just like put a pin in it for a little bit, you know? Yeah. Go back to Jesus. I like that. That's that's good. Hasn't failed me yet. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Same. Hallelujah. (laughs) Okay. Kate, since the podcast is called Becoming Church, how can you encourage our listeners to live out being the church right now where they are, regardless of where they are in their journey back to Jesus? I think it's remembering what it means to be the church. And I think that we often think of being the church as the internal functions of the church, right? Of the ways in which we're supposed to like pass down our tradition and, you know, spiritually form our minds and our hearts. But I also think that when we do that, we lose the pieces of what it means for the external pieces of church. And I think for a lot of us, that's sort of the place that we've found. We were sort of missing some of our Mm -hmm. experience. And so, yeah, like just be the hands of justice, be the people that you believe the church ought to be. Um, And I think in a lot of those ways, you'll probably find yourself in the circles of the churches that you want to be a part of because you're participating in the work of the church as you see it. And so it doesn't have to be big. You don't have to change the world. You don't have to do any of that, right? Like remove all of that pressure and just pick one way that you want to love people really well and do that. And I think um, in that you'll find more ways to love people well, and that will keep spiraling out, you know? Yeah. Be the Christian that you wish you'd experienced or that you wish you'd come in contact with. That's beautiful. What a perfect way to end. I love it. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Kate. I know you've got other resources besides the book, which we will link up in the show notes. You've got other resources for people that want to connect with you more or learn more from you. Where can they find all that? Yeah. So gosh, where to start? I'm on social media. I'm on Twitter at the Kate Boyd and on Instagram at kateboyd.co. I hang out mostly on Instagram. Um, And then let's see, I've got a whole bunch of different resources. I've got a toolkit on how to read the Bible. Um, I've got, if you're going through deconstruction or you're thinking about it or you're wanting to know a little bit more in the mind of someone, I've got a um, like limited series podcast that I did called the Messy Middle Christian Podcast um, that you can find at kateboy.co slash messy. And then the toolkit is at kateboy.co slash Bible. Um, So it's really easy to get all of those things. Um, yeah. And then the book or my website in general, if you just like, are like, who is this person and what is she talking about? And, <laughs> and if you're looking for all the things in one place, that's probably the easiest place yeah. to go. <laughs> and we'll link it up. We'll link it all up there. And I will tell you guys, go follow Kate. She is a fantastic, fantastic follow for any kind of questioning, unlearning, relearning, all of the things. So thank you so much oh, for being you. here. Yeah. Thanks for having me. This was great.
I hope this conversation with Kate Boyd has been helpful. Her book is a great tool for walking through whatever stage of deconstruction you're in. And also let me remind you, this podcast is a ministry of Mosaic Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. We are a safe place. We are a community where you can come with your questions, with your doubts, with your confusions. So if you are someone anywhere nearby and you would like to show up on a Sunday morning, we would love to talk to you. We would love to welcome you in. You don't have to be certain on what you believe. You don't have to know the Bible. You don't need to understand these Christianese languages. If you are looking for a place where you can go toward Jesus and learn more about who he is and what it looks like to live your life with other people who are also imperfectly trying to do the best they can to live and love like him. We would love for you to be part of Mosaic. If you are looking for something online, you're not local to Charlotte, you can also join us on our live stream link, which will be linked up below. We hope this has been helpful and we'll see you next time.